So I like the word casita. I think it's a great term for California. Let's, I, let's stop I, there, actually. Yeah. Have you heard of that term before? <laughs> well, casa is house in Spanish, so casita, I would imagine, is little house. Well, yes, I, I get yes, that, but have yes. you heard of the term in reference to an ADU? Uh no. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I guess I guess I don't hear it in Fremont or in Sacramento. <laughs> or really anywhere. <laughs> Welcome to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Matt Levin, dad and housing journalist with Cal Matters, and I'm Liam Dillon with the LA Times. And today on the podcast, much ado, a dot d dot u dot about casitas. Yeah, I feel you like, like you, that? I feel like you didn't have to even explain it out. I feel like or, you know you could have just said a do. And then we would have gotten it. I yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, people unfamiliar with casitas or ADUs might not. Okay. Yeah. That's Actually, fine. they probably wouldn't even understand it with the initialism. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about today, Liam? We are talking about those backyard houses, and we we have a bunch of good guests uh, to do that. We have uh, uh, Senator Bob Wykowski from the Fremont area, who is. Uh, one of the uh, author of uh, a number of bills in this space in over recent years. Also, we have a builder of casitas named Stan Acton, does that in Silicon Valley. Uh, so we have a good show. Um, and we're here taping on Wednesday, April 3rd. Wednesday, April 3rd, Which yes. means this was also the week that uh, Senate Bill 50 was discussed for the first time in the Housing Committee. Which we will also be talking about. Um, we will not be devoting the entire episode to it. No. No. <laughs> and we'll explain some of the reasons why, actually, while we're uh, discussing it. Yeah. But first, not the avocado of the fortnight. First, um, I want to plug a different podcast. This is the, I think this is the first other podcast plug that we've had on Gimme Shelter. Okay. Um, you sound plug incredibly it. excited. Let's pl- plug away. So uh, <laughs> this is a podcast from my dear colleague, Laurel Rosenhall. Um, it's called Force of Law, and it centers on a bill that actually you've reported on, I believe. Right? Yeah, and this whole issue for a, a couple of years as well, yeah. That's right. Um, it looks at under what circumstances uh, law enforcement can kill someone. Yeah, and if you think um, housing politics are intense, um, certainly <laughs> the relationship uh, with law enforcement, uh, civil rights groups here at the Capitol is just as, if not more intense. Uh, and, you know, these issues are literally of, of life and death. Um, and there's a major debate in the legislature that, 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 that Laurel is going to be following. So we're going to play a trailer from it right now. The first episode has already dropped, but we encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review. No justice! No peace! No racism! Police! Police shoot and kill more than 100 Californians each year. Almost all these shootings are legally justified. This has been a significant issue in certain communities, particularly black communities and generally communities of color where people have been killed by police in ways that to the public seem unjustifiable. This new podcast series explores a fight in the state capitol over limiting when California police can use deadly force. On one side, grieving families. I looked at my son, I didn't know how I was gonna tell him he wasn't gonna see his dad again. On the other, officers who say changing the law could put their lives at risk. What they're trying to do is, is, you know, they want cops to go to jail for doing their job. Galvanized by recent police shootings, a state assembly member has introduced a bill that would give California the nation's toughest statewide standard for justifying lethal force. AB 392 
will authorize officers to use deadly force only when it is necessary to prevent imminent and serious bodily injury or death. I don't want anybody to grow up without a dad, like me. California is known throughout the nation as being this legislatively progressive state, yet we have this archaic law that does not save lives. That's not the way police see it. Now you've put law enforcement in a situation to where they can lose everything. And at some point, law enforcement officers in California say it's not worth it. We're not going to compromise on making sure our officers have the tools, the resources, the training, the equipment they need to do their job in those split-second decisions. I'm Laurel Rosenhall, a political reporter with Cal Matters in Sacramento. This is where politicians will decide this year whether California needs a stronger law on police shootings. All we have ever asked for in this country is to respect our lives like you respect other people's lives. This issue is going to be the biggest fight. Join me for Force of Law from Cal Matters and Studio To Be, a podcast about police shootings and California's attempt to do something about them. Coming soon, wherever you get your podcasts. We, we should also note we uh, were supposed to record last week. Apologies. It's been three weeks, I think, since our last podcast. Our guest was supposed to be Ro Khanna, a congressman from Silicon Valley. Um, he had some unexpected changes in his schedule, and we weren't able to record. We're working uh, with him to hopefully find another date in the future. Yep. Uh, now to the most popular segment in all of California Housing Podcastery. Avocado of the Fortnite. The last three weeks since we recorded last have been chock full of avocado. Oh my God, I'm saying it like <laughs> you, you it. said there it. You go. I'm saying yeah. it like you said it. Um, they've been ab- absolutely replete with yeah. avocado stories. Yeah, so, I see in our show notes you refer to them as a, as a bushel here. Yeah, I don't know what the correct term is for uh, a, pe- a peck. I don't know. You know, when you yeah. go to Trader Joe's and they have them like in that like oh, uh, like the the, the net thing, sleeve, net sleeve, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That looks like it would be really bad for environmental reasons. Sure, <laughs> but not to bad. I look for forward fish. to the Trader Joe's laws. Bad for fish, good yeah. for uh, handling avocados. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, there were that many absurd housing stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to quickly recap a couple of them. We yeah. had because our readers. Uh, Submitted them. Yeah. Uh, we had the Flintstone House. Ah, uh, so good. I was pushing for this. I, I think we, we we came to a good one, but the Flintstone House is a really good, a really good avocado. And what was the Flintstone House? So, Very quickly. Uh, city of uh, uh, Hillsborough, a re- wealthy place in the Bay Area. There's a homeowner who has turned um, her property into a, a replicas of uh, the Flintstones. Um, and the Hill 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 Hillsborough P- public city not fans not fans uh, suing them as a public nuisance. Um, so yabba dabba don't. Okay, uh, <laughs> this is my self-serving plug opportunity here. I wrote a story um, about a former Orange County Congresswoman lending a sitting member of the Assembly House uh, Assembly Housing Committee four hundred thirty thousand dollars to buy a home. There are some very avocado-worthy quotes in that story. Yeah, I recommend um, readers check that out. But one avocado stood above all the rest. One avocado was by far, at least in my humble opinion. The most absurd housing story, dare I say, not just of the Fortnite, but is the leading contender for avocado of the year. Um, where are we going yet again for this avocado? <laughs> uh, so we're going to the city of Beverly Hills, uh, a wealthy community near Los Angeles. So our avocado of the Fortnite, this Fortnite, involves Judaism, 
and the newly installed mayor of Beverly Hills. Yes, yeah, so this is uh, John Mirisch, who uh, I'd call him a friend of the pod. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, uh, contributed a statement to, to our podcast before, and hopefully we'll have him on uh, sometime in, in the in, in the future. Uh, so he uh, was installed as Beverly Hills mayor um, on the Jewish holiday of Purim, uh, which is a, an annual celebration uh, among many. Um, and uh, did you celebrate Purim growing up? We're both Jewish. Yeah. But- uh, yeah, I did. I did. And in fact, this year I got some uh, hamantaschen, which is the, sort of the the pastry that you eat. It's uh, tri-cornered. Uh, and so you eat that. It's uh, kind of overrated. I, I, it depends on the flavor. I don't know? think so. It's like that apricot thing. and you, you, You're just not eating the right hamantaschen. Uh, that story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's one particular part of Purim that, well, first let's just talk about the city council meeting in which he was sworn in as as mayor. Just if you have a couple hours of your day... And it's to to watch this thing in full. I highly, highly recommend it. This is far better than like Shape of Water. Yeah, <laughs> like there's a there's a musical. There is a musical interlude. In Beverly Hills, everyone is a star who can live up to all of the hype. In Beverly Hills, you can come as you are. We're much more than a stereotype. Fast forward about 15, 20 minutes later. And some housing policy comes into play. Yeah, so uh, uh, Mayor Mirish, uh, not a fan of uh, Senate Bill 50, uh, Bill Upzoning uh, would increase density around transit, as we've long discussed. Not a fan of a lot of other Sacramento incursions on the local housing policy. Uh, and he makes that very, very clear and uses sort of Purim as the backdrop for that. Yeah. Uh, so he, there's a tradition uh, that you drown out the name of the villain, uh, Haman, in, in Purim uh, by oh, using, using a noisemaker called a grogger. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, the mayor uh, decides to pass out groggers to the audience at his installation, which is we're in like a big theater here. So it's a big crowd. Right? Yeah. So um, and Mayor Mirish says as he's about to embark on this um, uh, long uh, speech against the, the, the folly of uh, Sacramento politicians, decides to say every time I say Sacramento politician, you audience Make your noisemaker twirl it around and drown out. The state legislature has already proposed some 200 bills this session which would regulate the way we live, erode local control, and impose punitive one-size-fits-all rules on cities. So tonight on Purim, we're going to follow tradition. We're handing out some groggers, and each time you hear the words Sacramento politicians... Make some noise like this. Thank you. So this goes on for at least 10 minutes. Yeah. Possibly longer. Yeah. um, Where every time he talks about Sacramento politicians, and it's always in reference to state housing interventions, Mm -hmm. he swings his grogger, and then the rest of the Beverly Hills City Council audience swing. Groggers away. Yeah, exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. I mentioned it last year, and in many ways, some of the bills coming from the state legislature are a war on single-family housing, which Sacramento politicians consider to be inherently racist and immoral. That provides a very good segue into uh, talking about SP50, which passed out of, if you haven't heard the news, passed out of its first committee um, yesterday, Tuesday of this week, uh-huh. uh, marking 
Well, it went farther than it went last year. <laughs> well, right, and that's why you know we, we talked about it being news, um, and and yeah, it is. But like normally, you know, a bill advanced to the first committee is not really news. I mean, there is a, uh, a large number of uh, bigly amount of committees left to go for this bill. What makes it notable, as you said, is last year there was a the brouhaha uh, happened uh, in the first committee hearing, and it and it didn't advance. The the question is why did it not advance last year? And why did it advance this year? What what changed? And I think that story could best be told by looking around the room and seeing where various characters from last year in the drama of California housing policy um, were physically situated in the room and compared that to this year. And this is why it helps that both of us work. We were there. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we were at um, this little desk that looks like it was straight out of like a one-room schoolhouse in the 1840s where right. all the reporters yeah. sit there and yeah. take notes and you can't really see anything. Yeah. Except you're on you're on you're on TV there. Did you get that? Did I was. Yeah, yeah, I was basically photobombing everyone testifying. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and seated directly behind us who arrived a, a little bit after the hearing started um, was Senator Jim Bell. And why is he important? Well, last year he was in charge of the Senate of what was then the Senate Transportation and Housing Committee. He didn't like the bill. And so usually when that happens, uh, the bill goes away, and that's exactly what happened. And this year he was seated in the audience because uh, he is no longer a part of the Senate Housing Committee, and I just say Housing Committee. Last year it was the Senate Transportation and Housing Committee, of which he was the chair. Senate pro tem, the leader of the Senate, uh, Senator Tony Atkins, basically decided to split that committee in two. Bell is still head of the Transportation Committee, right? but Scott Weiner. The uh, author of SB 50 is the head of the housing committee sitting on top of what do you the, dais. It is the dais. Yeah, it's a dais. All right. Yeah. And typically, if it is a chair's bill, that bill gets through. That's so that's right. part of the reason why SB 50, if I had to isolate one reason, that would be the primary reason that it's advanced this far. But there yeah. were a couple other figures situated in different parts of the room this year um, that tell the story of why SB 50 passed. One person was seated in the exact same seat, seat, but at a different time in the hearing. And who am I referring to? So that's uh, Cesar Diaz, who is a lobbyist for the State uh, Building and Construction Trades uh, 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 Council, the the union uh, that represents construction workers. Very powerful, as we said, the most powerful, in my view, most powerful interest group on housing issues. Last year, he was at seated at the table expressing his opposition. This year, seated at the table saying, hey, I like it. <laughs> That's right. Yep. <laughs> Which mul- multiple people made note of, including um, the head of, well, uh, the representative of uh, CBIA, the California Building Industry Association. Developers. The, Associ- the yeah. Association of Developers made yeah. a specific point of, hey, he's on our side now. Well, I'm sure Cesar would put it as the other way. But yes, uh, having developers and labor uh, literally sitting at the same table to support a bill is not something that happens super often. And finally, one person missing from the dais this time around was Anya Lawler, a representative of the Western Center of on Law and Poverty, a equity group concerned with um, the, the plight of low-income Californians, yep. broadly. Mm-hmm. She testified against the bill last year. This year... She was in the audience. Uh, she she did, as a lot of those groups um, 
uh, in, sort of in uh, uh, together, um, sort of have expressed significant concerns about how the bill is structured, but they have not taken a formal position yet, which, uh, as we've noted, very different than last year. Uh, there was, in my opinion, some news that broke from the vote, which yes. we all expected would pass. It passed on a 9-1-1 margin. Ah, mm-hmm. the last one is, is an abstention. That's right. Yes. And that is notable because of who abstained, who did not vote yes or no on SB 50. So that's Senator Mike McGuire uh, representing uh, Northern California communities, Marin County, Sonoma. Um, and so uh, this is important because Senator McGuire is the chairperson of the next committee where uh, SB 50 will be heard. That is the Government and Finance Committee uh, on later this month, April 24th, I believe. Uh, and so he, uh, not a fan of the senator's proposal uh, really um, has his own com- competing bill, which he introduced uh, as sort of a way to try to get himself in the game uh, on this. Um, and that's also the reason why Jim Bell was there. That's right. So he and uh, McGuire and Bell uh, authored this bill together. Um, this is Senate Bill 4, which uh, is sort of, uh, to sum it up, takes a less aggressive approach, uh, does include increased density, actually has some additional um, sort of streamlining for, for building of of uh, up to four plexes in certain areas, uh, but it does take a less aggressive approach to adding density near transit than um, Senator Wiener's bill does. And the, the question is, how are these two bills going to be reconciled, if at all? Right. And the bit of news I was alluding to earlier was... That uh, McGuire said uh, from the dais that uh, he and Senator Weiner are negotiating uh, on this issue with the aim of having uh, one bill or a solution um, to their disputes uh, by the time that the next hearing hits. And that next hearing will be later this month. Yes. Um, so that w- that is the hearing between the hearing that just happened earlier this week and that hearing. That's the more important hearing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. By, again, by far. Everyone knew this was going to advance out of the first um, committee because Wiener was chairing it. Uh, and the question was when it was going to it was certainly going to hit a roadblock at some point in the legislature, given the opposition that exists. And this and, is the first. And this is certainly the first. Okay, that concludes the SB50 segment of the podcast. Uh, let's talk about ADUs, a.k.a. casitas. So in that very hearing, there was another bill that dealt with accessory dwelling units. What are accessory dwelling units? So in the in the preferred parlance of casita, um, these properties are things that are built that can house people in garages or backyards, sort of a second property, uh, a second house on someone's property. Also known as granny flats, yep. in-law and, units. Yep, yep, yep. A lot of people tout ADUs as a overlooked solution to the housing crisis. Yeah. Um, and what is, and I stumble my way through this point when we talk with Senator uh, Wykowski, but what is seductive, I think, and intuitive about ADUs is the economic incentives of homeowners are typically aligned with producing more housing, right? Where, so the, the example that I give is if they're going to build an apartment building right down the street from you. You might not be happy about that for a variety of reasons. If you build a granny flat, an ADU in the backyard, that means your property values could rise because of that, right? You that could get rental income. You could get rental income. Exactly. Right. So right. Th- 
there is an economic incentive for the homeowner to produce more housing. Yeah. yeah. So, and the housing policy people like it because they think it's sort of a, a a low cost and b sort of low impact way of getting uh, a decent exactly. amount of homes being produced in in communities that are already you know where there's a lot of things that are built there. And what does the state have to do with any of this? So uh, for a number of years, uh, this is like many things uh, in the housing space, generally left up to cities and counties to decide what their rules for allowing these projects are. And a lot of them, uh, you know, when you build a new home, there uh, any kind of home, there are fees that are attached to that. There are rules regarding amount of sidewalk space and setbacks and all these sorts of things, right? And so the state, starting a few years ago, said, uh, enough. Basta, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um to use the, the term of our times, um, and uh, began passing legislation limiting these sorts of rules that cities can have. One of the most important impediments to building ADUs are these things called impact fees, which I'm sure many of our listeners are well aware of, but just in case you're not, uh, typically they're in the context of big housing developments where a developer, if they're building new single-family homes, they have to fork over um, a significant chunk of money to the locality, to the to the city that they're building uh, the new development in because of the impact that those new residents who will occupy those homes will have on schools, parks, parks other yeah. forms of infrastructure, exactly, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, those oftentimes also apply to ADU. So even though you're just building a very, very small domicile mm. in the back of your I don't know, where your swimming pool used to be or whatever, Yeah, um, you would yourself, not a developer, still be paying um, what could be a hefty fee just to put one person in your backyard. So that makes it cost prohibitive. Sometimes, yes. Or yes. And so- Or at least proponents of ADUs would argue that. Yeah. So 2016, which is interestingly sort of the year before we've talked a lot about uh, major housing legislation being passed, there were were two bills that that, that did- um, get out of the legislature signed by the governor, one by Senator Wachowski, our guest, another by Assemblyman Richard Bloom of Santa Monica, that really took a, a big bite out of some of these uh, impact fee and other sorts of issues that were uh, making it more difficult for homeowners to to build these second units. Exactly. And I, we were talking about this offline, but most of the attention, including from us, about uh, the 2017 housing package centered around these big lofty uh lots of money big bonds and state local control issues like sb35 another bill from senator wiener yeah um but if you looked at what bills at least most immediately resulted in units to be built yeah no question these 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 bills no the question. ADU bills. No. Well, do you have, you have the LA stats? I'm trying to find. Yeah, them here. they're yeah. in the notes. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. Here we go. Here we go. This is so this is from the the Turner Center. Um, That's right. And so uh, 2015 uh, and and 2016, Los Angeles, for instance, um, averaged 85 of these built in those two years. Right. Oh man, great mental math. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 2017, 1,980. Wow. Yeah. It's a pretty big increase. Big increase. Yeah. And that's just that was just through November 1st. LA is probably the exemplar here, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But you see other significant increases in um, other major cities, some of which have taken a very proactive stance saying we want more ADUs, right? right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not all cities that are fighting this by any means. Right. Um, okay. Anything else on ADUs that you think we should hit? Uh, just that we should call them casitas. I mean, this, our longtime listeners of the podcast know this is my running thing, uh, so I'm going to take my opportunity, as I, as you'll hear in these interviews, to say that. Yeah, this might be the most influential 
interview we've done, just in terms of your influence, Liam. Well, you got to talk to the author of the bill, you see, and they got to, mm-hmm. you know, and so you'll see, you'll see. He uh, he takes to the term. Yeah, he does. He does. He immediately adopts it without just, despite my obvious objections. I'm just persuasive, man. It's just, just the way it is. It's a, he wasn't saying casita yeah. at the beginning of the interview, and then he starts saying it in the middle of the interview. Hey, well, you know. Uh, it's problematic. <laughs> um, okay, uh, that's it. Let's hear from our guest. Let's start with uh, Senator Wykowski. We're here with Senator Bob Wykowski, a Democrat from the city of Fremont. Uh, Senator Wykowski, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be with you. So tell me, this is not a thing like in life you know, you'd think when I grow up, I want to be the guy who uh, does ADUs. So tell tell me how you yourself. How, how you got to be interested in uh, in this sort of uh, housing effort. Yeah, nobody wants to be the ADU dude. I guess I guess I am the ADU dude. Um, what part of it started when I was on the city of Fremont? I was on the planning commission, and we were doing our housing element. And I knew that there was state law that required, you know, cities to make every effort to build mother-in-law units and second units. Mm-hmm. And they gave us a little chart that, you know, over the last five years, the city of Fremont's got 230,000 people, stucco home, suburban uh, area, just like much of California, you know, uh, from the 50s and 60s and 70s uh, um, housing stock. And we were building one or two ADUs. Um, uh, each year, or we called them secondary units at the time. And then I got to the city council, and we did the same thing, and I thought, what can't we incentivize these um, uh, secondary units? And at the time, we were building a lot of, you know, the typical three-story podium parking uh, housing stock that's going up. And then when I got to the uh, state legislature, it just always bugged me, and I would say to myself, I want to do a thing on this. Uh, secondary units. We've got to incentivize the secondary units. And they said, you know, respectfully, sir, why don't you focus on this, uh, you know, uh, greenhouse gas emissions or climate adaptation or toxic materials. And these are really big problems. Because ADUs aren't sexy, right? Because ADUs problem. are not sexy. Yeah. And finally, yeah. I just said in 2016, we, I want to do this. I, I want to do a bill. I want to get rid of some of these barriers. Uh, and that's where we started uh, and at the core, you you go back to redef- uh, your nomenclature that you use. Instead of saying grandma units and secondary units, you call you identify them as accessory units. Then you break through that barrier that cities and counties and uh, uh, government types have about this is a separate new build. It's it's not. It's an accessory to the the house that's allotted or the apartment or whatever the building is that's allotted, and then. We took off from there. Go, oh, so this go. is this is really fascinating. Yeah, I, was now, I, I can't for wait you. for this. Okay, you, you so you totally teed him up yeah. here for, for his pitch. Okay, so so um, it sounds like there's actually a technical reason that you're that you say accessory unit for legal purposes. But let me and maybe you can you can correct me or, or, on that. But let me make a pitch to you for something else. Um, so I like the word casita. I think it's a great term for California. Let's, I, let's stop there, actually. Yeah. Have you heard of that term before? <laughs> well, casa is house in Spanish, so casita, I would imagine, is little house. Well, yes, I, I get yes, that, but have yes. you heard of the term in reference to an ADU? Uh, 
No. Yeah. Not, oh. Yeah. I guess I guess I don't hear it in Fremont or in Sacramento. <laughs> or really anywhere. Just, you know. <laughs> anyway, continue. Anyway. So so, oh, but it sounds to me, putting aside uh, this very sad development so far, um, put putting that aside, it does sound like what you're saying is that referring to this sort of backyard unit, casita, what, whatever, as an accessory dwelling unit is actually a technical legal thing that makes it easier for state legislators to weigh in? Is that, is that right? Well, it, it, what it does is it, is, is it you know, frames the issue differently because you have, remember, you, one of the bills that I have this year is trying to break down the development impact fees. You know, yeah. it's, one of the biggest barriers is that the city say, oh, this is new development, so... Joe Blow's got a McMansion he's, he wants to build, and, and I want to build a little casita. And they, the city or, oh, the, or the water board charges us the same amount. I see. And the same amount, you're saying, that can't be right. And I've already paid the development fee, or the previous owner of my house paid the Im- developer impact fee. I'm not a developer. I'm a homeowner. So yeah. it's just the, our jargon that we use <clears throat> was simpler and then, as you know, we have those those different types. You know, we we went through the '80s, which were a good time for me, but I don't know about you guys. But but the we had all these houses. Our houses went from being 1,400 square feet to 3,200. Right. Everybody's got. Everybody wants to move out to Modesto or the Inland Empire and get this 3,000 square foot house. And now we're finding. You know, dad has died, mom's there by herself, and the, all the kids are gone, and they don't need that big a house. Yeah, <laughs> the creeping influence of Leah Dillon is readily apparent. <laughs> I'm so, so glad you've done this. That's great. So <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, impact fees. What are some of the other barriers to uh, homeowners building ADUs in their backyard? Um, and what um, are you guys doing at the state level to try to get rid of those barriers? Well, I got a bill, SB 13, this year that goes after home ownership, right? Because, because some of the cities say, oh, yeah, you have to be, if you have a, an ADU, you have, to have, you have to live there. And some, some cities even go further, and they want to put a deed restriction that says that you will always own the home. Well, banks hate that. I've got letters from banks saying we will never loan any money to anybody to do this. So game over. There's nobody. If you don't have any a bank loan, you're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a, a cute little trick that they say, oh, we're just going to do the restriction. We found out there's four, the four cities that do the best job, Portland, Oregon's one of them, that, that have got the most ADUs are being bit, built. All of them don't require home ownership. That's a, that's a core issue that they have. And what we found out, because a lot of uh, my friends, I would say, is sort of the liberal, you know, Bernie crowd, uh, they don't want to have, they, they think that these investors are going to come in and they're going to build all these ADUs. And you find out it's maybe 10%. Most, of the, most mm-hmm. of the ADUs that don't have, uh, the homeowner doesn't live there are, you know, I, I have my second house, or this was my mom's house, and all of a sudden I'm going to rent it out, or where, wherever the deal is. But it's not um, most of the most of the people are doing it are the the actual homeowner. But I don't want to have that rule in there because it again it impedes. If I'm trying to get, build a million of these things, that's a hundred thousand houses, and mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I don't think anybody cares, right? And what about parking concerns? Yeah, well, the ten. So where we are right now is in the. The first bill, SB 1069 from 2016, said that if you're within a half mile of transit, not major transit, just transit. So you got a you got bus. a metro center. Yeah. You got you got a bus stop within right. a half mile of you because you live out in in anywhere, Gridley, California, for for instance. Mm-hmm. Then then, Where's but that's that? the only bus stop there. 
then you have a right to have an ADU built. Yeah. So, and, and they can't require you to put replacement parking in if you convert the garage or build parking, because some cities have this, again, this clever idea that if you build an AD, if you convert the garage to ADU, you have to build a brand new par- garage, uh, garage. Well, that's going to cost you $100,000 to build a garage. I mean, people don't do that. So we wiped out that. Now, it's up to the cities. I mean, I would encourage cities, I would say, do it citywide, allow ADUs to be built anywhere. Let's zoom out a little bit. Um, why are these uh, casitas ADUs so important in the context of the state's larger housing problems? Well, they're cheap. They're cheap. You know, some of these, some of these uh, garage conversions cost $50,000, wow. you know, to, yeah. to do it. So you have, all of a sudden you have a garage space and that you have all your stuff stored in. So now you've got to move your stuff to storage, but put that aside for a minute. You take a garage space and you can quickly, quickly, with no government subsidies. You know, the, this is not, I'm not doing a bond. I'm not doing a bill that says we're going to pay for money. I'm going to just let the homeowners do it. The typical, the average ADU in California is 156,000 bucks. Mm-hmm. That's what they're talking. Now you can go, you guys, you, you work for the LA Times, you probably get a higher level of uh, uh, increased one. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but, <laughs> uh, anyway, keep yeah. going. Sorry. Right. I mean, I yeah. was in one of these. I I lived in one when I was in college. Actually, I live in yeah. one right now. But I you uh, live in an ADU right now. Yeah. I, I, well, my Sacramento. Uh, ah, apartment yes. is, yeah. an, is technically an ADU. Who owns the house? Uh, my brother-in-law. Oh, <laughs> okay. How big is the ADU? I would say 500 feet. 500 feet. It's got one. It's Cozy. got a living room, yeah. one bedroom, and yeah. a bathroom. It's you know what you would what you think onto the garage, and you know it's a. It's like actually want to have an in-law unit. Dinner there. It's like actually an in-law unit. Quite literally, right? Yeah. It's yeah. literally an in-law unit. It's, that's what he says. Yeah. Just, what are you doing? So, if you had kind of like your ideal ADU um, legal regime implemented across the state for all of the cities, how many units are we talking about, and how much of a dent would it actually put in California's housing shortage? Well, the challenges that we have with housing are so much greater uh, now. The prices. I mean, thirty years ago. You could buy a house, you know. Yeah. I mean, shit. Twenty years ago, you could buy a house. I mean, it doesn't. It it wasn't that uh, uh, extreme for the down payment and the, just the price of price of homes. So, so I'm thinking, uh, are my people that have been advising me yeah. uh, are using the million dollar a million home number? That's, That's in addition lot. to the half a million that have already been built. So, so again, it, the half a million while they become legitimate or you know and they can count towards the housing stock right. there people are living in them now i mean i just yeah. but we still at some time we have to say okay now they really count so the yeah. governor says we need 3.5 million you know i'm i'm good for a million <laughs> so <laughs> slightly let, let, different time windows yeah so let, let me ask about that i mean there are it's not just you um assemblyman uh, phil ting from san francisco uh is involved in this in legislation in this area assemblyman richard bloom uh down in santa monica um how much sort of space is there in the legislature to kind of go after these things for or this issue from sort of different perspectives or do you think that there's that just kind of too much activity so, so uh i i think you know uh, I was not the most popular guy when I introduced, you know, the first ADU bill. Now it seems like ADUs are popular, so that's a ah. that's a compliment that people want to be part of that solution to uh, solving the the housing uh, uh, problem. So, you know, I again, I've I've taken out some of the some of the elements that I think are important. 
uh, to, to, to remove some more of these barriers. I mean, there's a variety of barriers, so... You know, if, so everybody can try to knock down their own barriers. What you're saying. I'm trying to make friends. Let's yeah. just say that I'm trying to I'm trying to make friends and saying if other people want to play in this area, I'll take the big three, and everybody can have a little bit that they're part of the solution. Yeah. Who and, who who is fighting you on this? Well, I think the the water districts, uh, the sewer districts, and because the city. Impact and, and right, the, and the and the people who are getting the money right now and. I really don't want to change it. And, you know, it's, it's the same old song, it's local control, here comes the state. And I say, oh, no, I agree with you, it's local control. I don't want you to control that homeowner. I want the homeowner to be able to, to decide what she's going to do with her 5,000-square-foot suburban lot. So you brought up uh, local control, which is a nice segue to the, the other thing that we want to touch on briefly. Uh, you sit on the Senate Housing Committee. Uh, this week there was a, uh, uh, a big hearing um, involving uh, Senate Bill 50 from your colleague, uh, Senator Weiner. What, what do you think of that bill? Well, there was a long hearing. Yes, uh, we were, we were both hearing. there. Yeah. A long hearing. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I think I think it's a work in progress. I mean, there's there's Senate Bill 50 and Senate Bill 4, right. and there, you know, McGuire from the Governor and Finance. These are two chairmen of the two committees in the Senate that have slightly different versions of it. Um, in, slightly is kind, but yeah, right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, they have they have they're looking at the same problem, and they're they're coming at it on on their own way. So. Uh, you know, I voted for both of them to let them both go because now they're both going to go to government and finance committee right. and 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 work on that. They haven't. They've had some conversations, but I don't think uh, leadership has weighed in on what elements of the bills. I would imagine that that there will be one bill that comes out of the Senate. I, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Versus, or we'll have dueling banjos that goes all the way to the governor's office and say, "Let him choose." Um, I think we want to have some control over over uh, what is the partial solution because you know we're not going to solve these problems with one bill. There's no magic pill that we take up here. So, so this is going to be a partial solution, and and there's going to have to be compromises that 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 people make. That's it. That's it for us, Senator. Is there anything else that we neglected to ask that uh, you think we should know about ADUs or SB 50? No, I think uh, I appreciate the the opportunity, and you know, I maybe I will add a casita to my language. Oh, Who knows? No. There's, there's, there's always a walk away here. You know, oh. in Polish it would be domek, and the people would say, "Oh, it's a little house in the back. They got it." So, <laughs> domek. That's that's cool. Domicile. We, there's a lot of right. options here. I'm 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 glad we've had this talk. <laughs> All right, you guys have uh, fun. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. We're here with Stan Acton, founder of Acton ADU. Thanks for joining us, Stan. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So tell us about your firm. What do you guys do? Well, for about 30 years, we did uh, residential remodeling. And uh, about a year or so ago, actually almost two years ago, I, I made a decision that what I really wanted to do was build ADUs for the rest of my career. So about, uh, about a month ago, we changed the name of the company to Acton ADU. And uh, we build exclusively the accessory dwelling units. And wh- why? What what prompted the the change? So it was it was a moment of truth. It was an epiphany that I had one morning when I was getting ready for work. We were building our first ADU, and I 
it just kind of all came together. I, I've always been inspired by small architecture. I've always felt like, okay, I've been making people's kitchens pretty for 30 years, but I've never really made a place for someone to live. And I ride my bike to work, and I ride by all of these homeless camps. And I've always really wanted to be a specialist. And it just kind of all came together in a flash for me. And really, the decision was instantaneous. It took a long time to to implement, but the the vision was was clear and um, unambiguous. So it was part of that too, I imagine, uh, as a businessman, that the business was there uh, now that it may not have been previously. Is that uh, am I getting part of that right? Well, yeah. Part of the reason we were building that first ADU was because a buddy of mine who is involved with some of the state legislation called me and said, "Hey, Stan, the the, the laws are going to change, and we want to be the first in line to get our ADU and." And he kind of brought me up to speed on what was going on and and set the stage for me. And so um, now that the laws have changed and there is, you know, something like 5 million pieces of property in California that you can now build a house on that you couldn't have before without even having to buy the land, I thought, you know, that sounds like a pretty good business opportunity. So so how do the laws make it easier for you or people in your position? I'm not sure it actually has made it easier. I think what it's made is possible. (laughs) But, um, you know, the, the, the laws were intended to eliminate local jurisdictions' ability to have sort of clandestine, non-specific laws in place that prevented people from doing ADUs, such as parking and a bunch of restrictions that didn't say ADU in them anywhere, but essentially made it impossible for people to actually get a permit for one. Um, and so the, the governor overrode a lot of those local, the local jurisdictions' ability to pass those kinds of laws, but those jurisdictions that really are staunchly anti-ADU are figuring out different kinds of laws to pass to make it difficult. But there are also a lot of local jurisdictions which are very pro-ADU, and there are some that in the some that are in the middle. So it still really varies by by jurisdiction. At, at, at Acton ADU, we spend a lot of time understanding the landscape of each particular jurisdiction so that we can help navigate our customers through that uh, through that maze. So I, I should have mentioned this at the top, but you build primarily in the Bay Area, a little bit in Sacramento. Is that correct? Uh, right now, you could pretty aptly describe our current geographic reach as the Silicon Valley. Gotcha. So let, let's do a little role-playing here. Let's pretend in a complete fantasy world that I'm a Silicon Valley homeowner, which might be the most unrealistic role-play I could possibly imagine. <laughs> pitch me pitch me on an ADU. What's it going to cost me? How long is it going to take to build? How upset are my neighbors going to be? Well, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of a different tact. I will answer this question, but in, in a little bit different uh, different way. Oh, no. Um, one of the things we specifically don't do is we don't pitch people on an ADU. In fact, we're more like a medical doctor in that we're looking for ways to help people not have to spend that money and not have to go through that hassle. And if we don't find a better solution for them to their problems, then then we'll then we'll move forward with designing and building an ADU. What, but, what are the problems that they're coming to you with? So, you know, when we first had this idea, we thought, hey, you know, probably eighty eighty five percent of the people that call are going to want to build these and rent them out, and maybe ten or fifteen percent will have their grandmother live in them or what some other some other reason. Well, it turns out. It, ends up being exactly the flip side of that. It turns out that the vast majority of people that are calling us 
have family housing issues. Mm. Either grandparents or kids coming home from college or you wanting to retire, you love your neighbor neighborhood, but you don't have the money so you can and you don't need so much room so you build an ADU and you move into it and you rent the main house or you rent that, that to a to a, a couple that does the elder care in house. But really the vast majority of people coming to us are coming to us because they have genuine family family housing issues. So it's a lot of multi generational housing in essence that you're building. Well yeah, and and one of the things that, that we look for in terms of advising our clients as to whether or not it might be a good idea, is to think of ADUs as really a four-dimensional product, not so much a three-dimensional product. It's Whoa, a, that's that's mind-blowing to me. I don't even know that there were four dimensions, but please continue. Time. Well, Isn't yeah. time you know, the that, fourth dimension? That fourth dimension is really sort of that that 30-year time frame. Uh, yeah, okay. How is, this, how is this going to impact us for the next 30 years? Is really how we try to approach these situations and, and see if they're see if it's really applicable. You know, maybe maybe the grandparents leave in it for, for seven or eight years and maybe you do Airbnb for a couple of years and then maybe the kids come home from college and then maybe you live move into it or whatever. But it really it really makes sense to think through it from a long term investment standpoint, not just a oh my gosh, we've got this problem right now. We need to need, need to know what to do with mom and dad, and they're going to have to go into an old folks' home. And um, So it, it's really, we really think of it as a sort of a four-dimensional product. Hmm. And um, talking to you as an ADU doctor, medical bills can be very expensive. How, yep. how much is an ADU? So that's really, that, that, that's a great question. And the answer to that, unfortunately, is is pretty pretty challenging to answer because most of the time what people are asking is how much does it cost to build an ADU? And that's only a percentage of the picture. Mm. Um, You know, it's really easy to put an ad online that says, we're going to build your ADU for $150,000. And and then you find out that, well, that doesn't include the foundation that doesn't include design, that doesn't include the permit, that doesn't include school fees, that doesn't include parkland fees, doesn't include landscaping, it doesn't include furniture. If you want to be able to really budget, you need answers to all those questions. You need to figure out what it's actually going to take to actually move in and have it be a usable space. So, you know, the, the, the fake news out there kind of promotes one one scenario that is that is utterly incomplete. And that's one of the challenges that that our customers face when they're trying to figure out whether or not this is a good idea. So, is, hey, so but how much is it really going to cost? So, so you just you just yeah, listen man, I mean you're you're trying to sell us on an ADU here and you're telling us that the the, the sticker sticker price for the ADU is is fake news. Help us give us a good a good pitch for 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 something oh. or a range or or, yeah, 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 or something I will. so we I will. get it. I just yeah. want to really give you a little bit more context. Yeah. Before I before I throw out numbers, I'm certainly going to kind of give you some ideas. So Yeah. Um it depends a lot on where you're going to build the ADU. If you are in a rural area where there is great access for heavy equipment and you're not particularly interested in having the ADU solve a particular problem, but you're really just interested in getting sort of a rentable unit, 
and you can go with like a prefab ADU kind of a solution, you know, you could probably get one in the ground for $200,000, $230,000, all fees, everything. Now, mm-hmm. you'll see a lot of a lot of ads out there for a lot less, but again, those don't include the whole picture. Sure. If you really want to know what the whole picture is going to cost, it's probably going to be in that range. Okay. Um, if you are in a more urban area where oftentimes the prefab solution <clears throat> gets you about 95% of the way there, but then there's some element of it that just prevents the project from happening and you have to uh, take a look at a different approach, then then you're going to have additional additional expenses that you're going to have to incur. So we tell people that if they want to put together, let's just say a 600-square-foot ADU, and they want to have it for a particular person, and they want it to be nice, and they want it to have wire it for, for you know future use, if you really want it to be a home rather than a box, then you probably need to budget somewhere in the three hundred to three hundred and fifty thousand dollar range wow, to have wow. a, a home. So we that, now that's in the Silicon Valley. Yeah, not going to be that much in Sacramento. Not going to be that much in in Poughkeepsie. But sure. in the Silicon Valley, as as an example, in San Jose, just the parkland fees can run eight thousand mm. dollars. Just the fee that allows you to use the parks after you're done. <laughs> And the school fees are probably, you know, can be in that same range too. So, um, if you really want to provide a picture that allows you to budget accurately, um, it makes sense to, to pay attention to the actual whole cost rather than just the, uh, the build cost. So, uh, I understand that the name of your company has the word ADU in it. Uh, but I'm wondering, oh, do you have a prefer uh, other than ADU? Is there another term, perhaps casita, that might be good for describing these uh, sorts of projects? So the ones that we hear a lot are are, are granny flats, um, casita. Yeah. Um, wait, 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 wait. You've heard the term casita before this I have, interview? I have heard the term casita. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, backyard, backyard house, tiny house. There's a few terms. The ones, the more, the more popular ones are, are granny flats and, and ADUs. Ah, uh-huh. Let me ask you this, and again, it's very disconcerting to hear that casita is a, <laughs> is a much more popular term than I originally imagined. Um, if it's going to cost, let's say, in the Bay Area, you know, well over two hundred thousand dollars to to build one of these things, is this not a solution that's really accessible to uh, moderate income homeowners? Well, it is. It has essentially less to do with the income than it has to do with the equity they might have yeah, in their property. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah because yeah. right now there are few and far between solutions for actually financing these things other than existing existing net worth. And the right. best way to get that existing net worth, it seems, is to take out a loan against the house and then take that loan money and plow it back into the property. Now, there are definitely right. other solutions um, for those that are interested in uh, doing one that are in their, their latter years. There are reverse mortgage options. For those that have other assets, you can take a loan against stock that you maybe don't want to sell for capital gains purposes, and you could finance it that way. Hmm. If you've got liquid assets, you know, you can do it that way, but in terms of institutional lending for building an ADU, 
against the future value of the ADU, that is still uh, that's not that's still not really a reality. So hmm. is that a bigger barrier to um, increase ADU production um, than some of the regulatory hurdles you guys confront? Well, I'll just say it's significant. Hmm. Um, it is significant, and there are definitely cases where. Uh, people would love to build an ADU, and it makes financial sense. And the the ROI is most of the time is really really pretty compelling. Hmm. Um, but the banks don't have the ability to put a lien on just the ADU, oh. and and so therefore they can't. They don't really essentially don't have a secured loan. And there are uh, like in Austin, for instance, I think it's Austin. If you build an ADU, you can actually break that property up into two properties, and so you could put a loan, a, a lien on that ADU in, in some other jurisdictions, but you can't do that in California. And so uh-huh. banks just aren't just aren't lending on that kind of that kind of a project. So um, uh, I'm realizing I'm asking the apple farmer uh, what the appetite is for apples, um, but but how many ADUs do you think could be built? Um, could or should be built uh, across the state? So when the governor signed the legislation, their estimates were that 2% of California homeowners would convert their property to one with an ADU within the next 30 years. Um, That, I think, is a wildly um, underestimated number. If you take a look at Vancouver, Canada, where they've been doing this for a long time, Mm -hmm. estimates run as high as 30% of homeowners have already done it. Wow. Um, and so with, with the number of potential plots of land in the 5 million range, you know, if, if, if 2% of those convert, you know, that's 50,000 ADUs and I mean, that's a hundred thousand ADUs and I just can't see it being that low with the amount of interest and the amount of, of conversations going on out there. The hundred thousand in the next thirty years just doesn't—it just doesn't resonate with me. It, so is the I think it's going to be a lot higher than that. So like five times that, ten times that, twenty times that. What what's your? I your would say ballpark? I would say it's going to be probably be in the ten times that range. Wow. Could yeah. could you um, tell us how many calls you were getting about ADUs when you first had your epiphany, or maybe right before it, and then how many calls you're getting about ADUs now? Yeah, when we first decided to to. Uh, do this, we probably got one or two ADU inquiries a quarter, and now we're probably getting somewhere between three to five a week. Wow. Wow. Okay. Last, I'll give you a, a kind of a opportunity here. Give us your ADU regu- your best ADU regulatory horror story. What, what's the, the project you were working on, and it's like, I can't believe that this is holding this project up? Well, I don't know if this is the worst, but this is recent and it's salient and um, is an example where we have everything that the city has ever asked us for in any regard, except for the fact that it is 154 feet from the curb to the back of the middle of the ADU as a fire hose would have to travel in order to put out a fire. And the maximum that you're allowed is 150. (laughs) So... We're, you know, we're, we're two feet away from, because if you move it forward two feet, then you get essentially four extra feet on the back, two from each direction. And so 
you know, we very well may have to go through a variance, which is going to take months and be wow. thousands of dollars. Um, and, you know, we'll probably end up getting the permit because that kind of variance in general is granted. But it is, it is prohibitive and frustrating that such a, um, what, what about, you know, I'm not a fireman. I only play one on TV, so I can't say. I don't risk my life every day going out to trying to put out fires, so I don't have that perspective. But it seems crazy to me. All right. Wow. Uh, that's it for me. Yeah, that's it. Uh, anything else you want to add, Stan? Well, yeah, I would say that anybody who's considering an ADU could go to our website, actonadu.com, <laughs> and we have on our website a list of all of the most current regulations by city. If anybody's got a question about ADUs, certainly feel free to call us, and we can. 95% of the time, we can point you in a good direction one way or another. All right. Thank you very much, Stan. We appreciate the time. All right. Well, thank you very much for the call. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So are you working on something that talks about casitas? Yes. Oh, shit. <laughs> you slipped that one by me, Dylan. <laughs> As part of this California Dream Project uh, with public radio stations around California, we are doing a series on the rising number of seniors in California. By 2030, we'll have a higher proportion of Californians that are over 65 than Florida has now. The future is Florida. <sighs> See, and I've been arguing for that as my headline, and my editor is like, no, we are not doing that. Anyway, the future is Florida. As part of that, I am going to be doing a, a story on senior housing issues, and a lot of the demand for ADUs comes from seniors, um, this very literally granny flats, right? This mm -hmm. is a place where you – why are you smiling? I was just uh, – are, so are you a, are you a, are you a Mimby? Are you a, are you a Jimby? Uh, what are you – Grandma? Uh, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I'd like to go with Dimby because it's the worst-sounding one. <laughs> Dad in my backyard. D Dimby sounds almost like a slur. It's horrible. <laughs> so we're going to go with Dimby. Anyway, a lot of the demand for ADUs are um, senior citizens who want to live close to uh, their children, their adult children. And there's not enough senior housing. Um, it's difficult to downsize in California for a variety of reasons that we've covered on previous podcasts. Um, so that, that will be the radio and tech story that um, you can look forward to soon. Uh, you want to do the outro? Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for listening to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Matt Levin. You can find me on Twitter at mlevinreports. Uh, I'm Liam Dillon. My Twitter handle is at Dylan Liam. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.